but like I mentioned tonight, we're looking at the book of Daniel, and so I'm excited to do that. We've been, been in a series called God Still Reigns, because in the book of Daniel, Daniel was an ancient Jewish prophet thousands of years ago who lived during a time of social upheaval, of chaos, of uncertainty. Daniel was born into a, a royal family in Jerusalem, in Israel, and the Babylonian military came in. They ransacked Jerusalem, took him from his family, and forcibly um, enlisted him in the government of Babylonia. And so as we live in a time filled with chaos and uncertainty, there is timeless truth for God's word for us today. And Daniel was writing to encourage the Jewish people who were saying, look, we lost our sovereignty to Babylon. So many of us have died. The temple is in ruins. What's of our future? And Daniel's message to them was God still reigns. And in every chapter of the book of Daniel, in every vision that he has, in every dream that he interprets, there's this one message, God still reigns. And so I'm excited to look at the next part of this series with you all in Daniel chapter 3. And so if you turn there, uh, we can look at that together. And we're going to get nerdy for a few minutes. We're going to look at the first few paragraphs, just unpack what's going on. And then I'm excited to have a discussion panel tonight. So it begins off by telling us about the king of Babylon. And so in Daniel chapter 3, verse 1, it says, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold. 60 cubits high and six cubits wide. So basically, this was a huge thing, 90 feet by nine feet. And it says he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylonia. Then King Nebuchadnezzar summoned the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, and the magistrates, and all the authorities of the provinces to dedicate this image that Nebuchadnezzar set up. And it says when all of the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, and the magistrates, and all the authorities of the province had assembled for the dedication of the image, they were to stand, and the king says, when you see this, all of you peoples, all of you nations, when you hear the horn, the flute, the zither, the lie, the harp, the pipes, and all kinds of music, you're to fa fall down, bow down, and worship this golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar set up. So as we look at all those things, right, there's a bunch of random old facts, right? But the thing that I love about the scriptures is there's so much witness here. It's not just random stuff. So the first thing we see in this chapter is that the king, Nebuchadnezzar, had set up this huge golden statue. And this isn't coming out of nowhere. If you guys were back with us last week looking at Daniel chapter 2, the king has a vision, Daniel interprets of it, that there is a statue with a head of gold and then a bronze, and then silver, and then a feet of iron and clay. And it basically represented the kingdoms of, of the world, right? The world empires. First there was Babylon, then there was going to be Persia, Greece, the Roman Empire. And then it says, then the Messiah would come. He would end all the other kingdoms and evil empires in the world and establish the Messianic kingdom that our Jewish people have been looking forward to. The head was gold, and it represented Nebuchadnezzar. And by building this golden statue that was entirely gold, Nebuchadnezzar was saying, okay, that's what your God says, but your God doesn't reign forever. My kingdom will reign forever. In this statue, not just the head is gold, but the entire statue is gold. And he's saying, my kingdom is going to reign forever. And then when we look at that chapter, right, it listed all of those different titles, right? The satraps, the administrators, the governors, 
and enlisted all of the peoples gathered together with all of these different musical instruments, right? And this, is ad, this isn't just random facts as well, right? Back in chapter 2, it says that that statue of those kingdoms of the world, they're getting, it can collapse because the feet were made of iron and clay, and they didn't mix. It wasn't unified. And so he says, my kingdom is going to last forever, and it's going to stay unified. And he says, this is what's going to unify the kingdom. All of the peoples who have all these different types of music and every level of government, they will all worship this statue together. And that is what's going to unify my kingdom forever. He is saying, God doesn't reign forever. My kingdom will reign forever. And so it's so great to see that in all of these details, they aren't just random, but the scriptures are painting us a picture. The book of Daniel is a story, and it's all connected. And so the king Nebuchadnezzar is setting up the statue to say, my kingdom will reign forever. But then it says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these three Jewish people forcibly taken from their homes, they will not bow down to this idol. They will not bow down to this statue because they say, we worship Hashem, our God only. And I want to unpack that response with you because as we live in a time where it's difficult to stand for the God of Israel, for the God of the scriptures, when we live in a time where it's so difficult to trust in the supernatural power of God, there are so many awesome things in this chapter. So we're going to have a discussion on what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say to the king. So I'm excited to have a panel to do that tonight. Uh, the first person I'd look, like to bring up is Justin. And Justin McFatridge, if you might have had the chance to hear him a few weeks ago, he gave an awesome testimony of what God has done in his life. And as we look at having faith in, the, in God, I think of Justin because Justin, in the years that I've worked with him, I've seen a man who walks in faith, who rule, rolls with faith. And, uh, and when it comes to standing for God and standing in the power of God, Justin, Justin has been an inspiration to me. And then I'm also excited to bring up Meryl Waxenbaum for the discussion tonight. She's another UT grad like me, and, uh, and I was talking to her. She actually helped in coming to faith in college at UT. Part of the thing was reading the book of Daniel in Daniel chapter 9, seeing these ancient prophecies of the Jewish prophet Daniel and seeing that these must point to Yeshua. And uh, she's worked in the healthcare industry as an emergency room nurse and actually traveled all over the globe doing emergency medicine. And so super excited to have Mara with us tonight as we look at Daniel chapter 3. And so uh, as we do that, uh, we're going to look at the response that they make to the king. And the first thing that they say to the king in, in Daniel, in Daniel uh, 3 verse 16 they say, we don't need to answer you about this. Whatever you say. Can you test that mic, Mara? Because uh, if that doesn't work, we'll try the other one. Okay, great. So the first thing we see about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right, is they're working for this evil empire, right? The Babylonian government. They're working for the military that comes and destroys Jerusalem, that invades Israel, and ends their sovereignty. And yet, even though they worked in this evil government, they didn't participate in the idolatry. They wouldn't buy down to the statue. And so as we look at their example, the first question I have is, how can we work and live in the world but not of the world? And so that would be my first question to you guys. 
looking at their example, how can we work and live in the world but not of it? Um, Rereading this chapter a few times, I thought it was really interesting that Daniel was only in chapter 2 and then 4, and he completely skipped chapter 3. So I don't know where he was. I don't know if he went on vacation somewhere. (laughs) um, But he is not even mentioned once in chapter 3. So in my head, I kind of thought he was in there. But um, looking at it, I think there's a big period of time between chapter 2, when Daniel gave the interpretation, um, the dream and the interpretation, and then chapter 3, because I feel that Nebuchadnezzar forgot a lot of what happened. So I feel like there was a big period of time, even years, between those times. And these aren't just like fairy tale characters. They're real people. So I'd really try to think of what the three friends thought during that time. And I can... I, I feel that they, they were, when, they, when Daniel gave that dream and gave that interpretation, um, I, I kind of feel like they were like, well, what about my gifts? I don't have gifts like, like this, like Daniel. And he was raised up and he brought us up here. But um, as humans, I think we feel like that a lot. Like, oh, look at their gifts. Like, we're nothing, but look at their gifts. They can, they can do so much for God and we're just here. We believe in him, but, you know, we don't have special interpretation gifts and stuff like that. And so I feel like those three friends um, were there to support Daniel, but I also think they had doubts in their head, and they're like, well, what can we do for God? We just stand for him. We just give our lives for him. But I really think it's important um, that when you read through that chapter, the results of what Daniel did in chapter 2, he, what Nebuchadnezzar saw out of the, the gifting of Um, getting that dream and the interpretation was Nebuchadnezzar said your God is a God who like he said your God is a God who reigns not just the God but a God who reigns and he he recognized him as the God who can read dreams and who could tell the truth but in chapter three um, when when they came out of that fire because they laid down their life Nebuchadnezzar said, yours is the God who can deliver from fire, can deliver from death, and not even I can do that. And so he actually made um, a law that said anybody who talked against that God, would their house would be destroyed and, their whole, and they would basically be stoned. And so I think that's very significant because the laying down of your life for Yeshua came with more results than the gifts that you used. So um, to answer that question um, of living for him in everyday life, I think the, the spiritual results for laying down your life are astronomically more than the gifts that you can see the results from. The yeah. sacrifice of our lives is what God uses more than our talents. That's amazing. Justin? Yeah, uh, building on that a little bit, I sort of think of, when I think of this and I think of everyday world and I think of humans and the fact that uh, we were born in sin and stuff like that, I think it's very easy for us to get caught up in the, like, the day-to-day of what's going on. Like, you know, you encounter things every day, gossip in the workplace, you know, uh, posts on social media, like, stuff like that. There's a lot of negativity out there. So I think what this shows us is that we're meant to be lights in everything we do. We're meant to be people that our actions speak louder than our words, rather than succumb to the gossip in the workplace or to, you know, maybe posts on social media or anything like that. We're meant to live our lives as an example for other people. Um, 
And what that means is just, just you know, standing firm in our faith and uh, our living life for Yeshua every day. Um, I think to the fact that um, in this time especially, we can become, we, we spend a lot of time online uh, because, you know, every day, COVID, you can't really do a lot of things. Uh, so I think sometimes uh, this world, we can fall victim to um, thinking we're not necessarily participating in negativity or um, anything like that, but, you know, it's like posting, by posting something or memes or anything like that. Um, so it, it's easy, it's real, I guess what I'm trying to say is it's really easy to fall into uh, the world, to get caught up in the world, but I think it's important for us to remember, and sort of what Marin said is um, just living your life and your actions. It's not necessarily you're being the smartest person in the room, being the most knowledgeable of scripture, being able to prophesy, to pray over people, to, uh, you know, just do liturgy, to worship specially. It's just living your life for God. There's a difference, and people recognize that. So I think that's what this tells us, is that just to be us and to be God like he tells us to be on earth and to be his light in every situation. And even though it's really easy to succumb to the negativity and the things that are around us, we're called to be better people. And it's just everyday normal actions. It doesn't have to be anything special because we all have gifts that we are given. Yeah, that's great. And how we live our life and what we choose to participate in or say, I'm not going to join in on that, that speaks volumes uh, in terms of who we follow. And in following God, in this case, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they've got their coworkers, right? Their coworkers who are jealous of them. And so they want to take advantage of the fact that they didn't bow down to get them in trouble with the king. And so in this case, they accuse them of disloyalty to the king, that they, they were insubordinate, they refused to bow down. Uh, and in following God, in obeying God, in choosing to do things Yeshua calls us to do, or in saying we're not going to do things because we follow Yeshua, sometimes in doing that, we can get marginalized, uh, we can be accused of things by others, we can be ostracized, we can be attacked for following Yeshua and doing that. And what do you think we can learn from the example of these three amigos, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Um, I thought it was really interesting because I never saw this before, but when reading it, um, that sometimes the only way that we get released from things is when we get put in the fire. So he had the strongest guys bind up um, the three amigos and um, throw them into the fire. And even the people who threw them in died because it was seven times hotter. And but so one of two things happened. Either the only thing that burned up on them was the things that tied them or Yeshua went and untied them in that fire. So I don't know which one, but one of those two things, because even their clothes didn't smell like fire, but the chains or whatever they used, ropes to bind them, were gone. So either they got untied personally by him, or they burned up completely. But either way, I think it's a really good analogy of sometimes the only way that the chains that are on us are gone are through the fire, and we hate it. And it said that they fell in. So sometimes it feels like we are falling in, we have no control, we are tied up, but God knows that's the only way that those chains that bind us will be gone, is in that fire. Um, and something else that I thought was kind of cool was um, they were in there walking around with him, and so I was like, why, why'd they, so part of me, if I was tied up and thrown in there and I got loose, I'd like come out and be like, 
look at me, I got, you know, and, but they didn't do that. They hung out in the fire for a while, and they didn't come out until the king said, come on, like, what are you doing? Get out of there, kind of thing, because they were just walking around um, with who I believe is Yeshua inside, and what they realized really fast was it's better to be in the fire with Yeshua walking with you than to jump out really fast and not go through that complete transformation, and it's better wherever you are with Yeshua, but in that fire. And they had to be told, come out. Um, and when they came out, there was no chains and no, like, even the hair wasn't singed on them. Yeah, I think in life, lots of times, if I have trials, I want to get done with them as soon as possible. And so I didn't even realize that. They stay in the fire because it's better to be in the fire with Yeshua than outside of it. And, uh, and that's where all of those chains came off. That's awesome. Yeah, um... So thinking of this question and thinking about like uh, just the way that they responded, like um, when they were brought before the king, they were accused of all these things. The one thing that stood out to me is they they went, didn't go on the offensive and they didn't go on the defensive. They just lived their life. They said, you know what? Our God is our God is greater. And it, it's almost like I think in, it's in times when we face trials or we face tribulations or we face you know, the fire, we face things like that. We, we have the, we, we can fall into the trap of being, uh, getting on the offensive. Like, well, if this is encountering me, like, I, I got to get on the offensive. I got to do this. Or I got to be defensive. Like, I, you know, you put up the walls, you put up the, the, the boxing gloves ready to fight over whatever thing you're going, rather than just sort of come about in a peace and, like, just be, live in the moment and understand that you're in that situation for a reason. That trial is there, and our God is good, and he'll lead us through anything. Everything he touches is good. He has a plan for everything. So rather than getting wrapped up and having to defend yourself or in the offensive, like, well, if I do this, maybe I can get past this faster. Or, you know, if I do this kind of thing, maybe I can get through it faster. Just sort of going with the flow and accepting the way things are and where God has you in that moment because you're there for a reason. And he'll see you through it. You just kind of have to hang on and just, you know, trust trust in him. So I, that's sort of what I saw. I thought that was interesting that they didn't start saying, well, our God this, our God this, or no, no, please, please don't do that. They were just like, you know what? They didn't succumb to the gossip or the things that the other people were talking about or to the baiting of the king and the other people to sort of stir them up. They were just shalom. <laughs> just shalom. They don't go on the offensive to attack the people accusing them. They don't go on the defensive to justify themselves. They're willing to stay in the fire with Yeshua and allow him to free them in the process. That's awesome. And as we read on, they say three more phrases that just amaze me. And so I want to spend some time with Mara and Justin unpacking each of these phrases because I think they're so important for us. And so they say these things to the king when he says, if you don't worship this idol now, I'm going to throw into the fire. And what they say is, our God is able to deliver us from the furnace. He will save us from your hand. Yet even if he does not, we will not compromise. We will not bow down. They say our God is able to deliver us. He will. Yet even if he doesn't, we're going to follow him. And I think each of these three phrases are different and so amazing and so important. So I just want to unpack one at a time. And so with the first phrase, God is able to save us, what is so important about that, believing that, 
And why is it so hard to take that to heart, that God is able to deliver us from anything that we experience? Um, I think the par hardest part about that phrase is, if he is able, why doesn't he? Um, and I think that's a fault we have as humans, as why, and not understanding, and still having that 100% trust that he is good when he doesn't. And I think that's something everybody wrestles with. Um, and to have that faith that he will, but if it doesn't happen, then he is still good and he is still on the throne. And I still trust him. That takes a leap of faith that it's, it's almost impossible to explain that you know he's good, you know it's for a reason, but you don't know why because we're human. And so one of the things as I think about these phrases, God is able to, he will, yet even if he doesn't, I think about asking God for the supernatural, like they're asking to be supernaturally delivered from this fire, supernaturally delivered from the king. And I think about asking God for the supernatural. So one of the things com that comes to mind is you have done a lot of uh, medical ministry and going to Africa, um, ministering to people with there. And so, I mean, you've seen people healed. And so I just wondered if you could, as I think about, you know, you've seen people healed in other countries and probably as an emergency room nurse in the States, you have seen people not healed. Uh, and so I'm just wondering if, as we think about these three phrases, if you could tell us maybe what you've learned through your experience in medicine and also seeing God move. Yeah, um, and I haven't even close to begun to figure out all of us, so, um, but, so when I was in India um, praying over people, every single person was healed. And so in my head, when I came back, that was gonna continue, and that was, I mean, as, a, as an ER nurse, I was like, oh, they're gonna have to have a room for me. I'm gonna have to pray over people. Nobody's gonna check in and get paid, like pay the ER. And then, you know, like everybody's gonna get healed. They're gonna leave. They won't even have to wait. And like, so going up and above and beyond. And then I come back and it was like, the healings aren't happening. Like this, I'm doing the same thing. I'm believing the same way. I don't know if it's um, principalities over this country or unbelief spirit or something else I don't know um, but sometimes things don't happen and we don't know why um, and I think and I think that's a growing process um, so but at the same time I know he can and I know he will but sometimes it doesn't happen um, and I think that's when we really have to push to press into God and seek him um, for wisdom in that area and to know how to pray and in what situations to pray for. But um, I, I mean, I know God is able because what's the difference between somebody there who was healed and, and somebody here who's healed, you know? Um, and so I think for them to know that um, and for them to declare that, I believe that, that the three amigos had um, previous experience with God's healing power. Um, because I know, for them to say, I know it, and to truly believe that in your soul, you know, you know that in your heart, you've seen it before. Um, and so I don't know what situations in their past they've seen, but I know that they've seen God's miracles, like, in the flesh, and that, that he will do it again. They can see that track record that God is faithful, and so they can trust him and know that he's beyond us, and sometimes we don't have all the answers right now, but we can seek him, we can ask. And, uh, and, and God will respond to us. And so Justin, I was wondering if you could also share with us what it's like to wrestle with, I believe that God can heal, 
he will heal, yet even if he doesn't, I'll still follow him. So yeah, so in thinking about this, uh, in thinking about these passages and these questions and these declarations that, he, that the people make, I think it's important to recognize all three, that we talk about all three. He, he can, he will, and even if he doesn't, we'll still praise him. So um, I talked to, gave my testimony a few weeks ago. Um, so when I think about this and I think about these statements and I think about my life, it immediately, um, you know, healing is a big thing, and healing is something that you think about a lot, especially when you're going through things. So for those of you who don't know, I have a spinal cord injury that I happened when I was 14 years old. So for me, with my life, um, the way that I've come to terms and the way I've let Jesus take control of the situation the way it is, is through those three statements and how they work. So I have confidence that God can heal paralysis. God can heal everything. He can do the supernatural. He can... Anything that's bad, he can make good, and he can fix everything. I have the faith that he will. He will heal paralysis. This spinal cord injury is not my entire life. I will walk again. But the most important thing out of all of those is even if he does not, I will still live my life for faith in him to glorify him. And what that means is I don't know how or when I'll walk again. I know I will walk again. But it's the faith that whatever I'm going through and whatever God's doing, it's a perfect timing. I think as humans, going back to like, and then I, you know, start, started falling as a victim. We like, we're, we're a world that we like instant gratification. We, we, we see those things, we hear those stories of people being healed right then and there. So we sort of lose, we have a tendency to lose faith if it doesn't happen right away. So Ravi and I were like sort of discussing and talking about a lot of things. And we also, I think, fall into the habit of like having an idea of what, healing will look like, what it is, what the ultimate healing in a person's life is. So like for me, it could easily be walking and not having a spinal cord injury. But, if I but as I think of what I've been through and what God sort of brought me through, I've realized that there's been healing and he's done miraculous things that don't always get talked about because it's not necessarily uh, being able to walk again right now. For example, um, I, so my, for all you medical people or non-medical people, my injury is C5, C6. So it's like right here in the top of the neck. So with a C5, C6 injury, most likely you just have the ability to bend your elbows. You can't really do much. For those of you who see me, I kind of have some pretty good arm movement. This is how great our God is. So two years after my accident, after I was stuck with my arms like this because my biceps were trying to overcompensate for everything and I couldn't really bend them, they were contracted, uh, a, friend at, or a friend of my grandpa at my dad's work just happened to say, you guys need to check out Shriners Hospital for Children. So I go to Lexington. It just so happened that the director of Lexington Hospital Shriners was connected with the Philadelphia Hospital. So the Philadelphia Hospital was a spinal cord injury only hospital. So listen to how crazy this is. So I found out at the hospital that they can take muscles and tendons that you're able to use, and they can connect them to other tendons so that you get more movement. For example, they took my biceps, which we all know biceps, flexing. So they took my biceps and they moved it to my triceps. So all of a sudden, when I fire my biceps, I'm extending my arms, which I couldn't do before. They took the brachial radialis. Sorry to get all nerdy and technical. I'm all about the medical, like I was doing I was in high school when all this happened, so like 
as I was splinted between surgeries, I was up in the medical library writing a research paper so I could graduate with my original class. So, like, all this stuff is just so interesting to me. And I also like to kind of be in control of the situation, so I know, like to know what they're doing in my body. That's something I need to work with God on, not trying to be in control all the time. But that's another, another tale. Um, so then they took another muscle called the brachioradialis, and they moved it to this joint called the FPL. So the FPL, I don't know exactly what it is. I just call it the FPL. Uh, it's your th thumb. So all of a sudden, I can move my thumb. And this is the even crazier thing. When they were doing the left side of my surgery, it just so happened that the scar tissue went over a couple other tendons. So not only did I get the ability to pinch my thumb, I got the, the ability to flex my fingers inward to be able to hold things tighter, which was not part of the surgery, something they hadn't seen before. But then I sit there and think about, think, think about, like, who would have ever thought to take a muscle and attach it to, I mean, that's purely God. That's in there. That's, that's, that's a different type of healing. It's like he, he, he's going to do good. You just sort of have to give him time and wait for it to happen. So for me, that was huge because all of a sudden I get my independence. And it was being faithful and understanding that, God, there would be a way that I would be able to still do everything I wanted to do. It just wasn't necessarily the way I had. So God will always come through and he will do good. And we, we just have to wait on and understand that we can't be in control. We have to give him control. And everything we give him control and everything we give to him will bear fruit. It will come out better. He's a sovereign God. He has great plans for us. But we just have to like give him the reins, let him take control and do everything. And then like through our situation, our trials, testimonies happen and people, people see things and people's lives are changed. So we may never see that, and we may never know what our circumstance goes through, but God is always working good behind the scenes, and eventually he will reveal it all to us when we are in heaven. So we just have to be patient and understand that it's, it's all going to be good in the long run. And, and like Justin mentioned, he's able to do things that you shouldn't be able to do with that kind of injury. I remember we were at work a few years ago, maybe just last year, and we had uh, someone come down from Respect of Florida from the state government office to inspect what we were doing. And so she's looking at the paperwork about Justin's injury, about what kind of injury he had and what that means for his life. And then she looks at this other paper talking about all of the work that he's doing with all of the typing and data entry and developing new training systems and teaching that to others and using his hands to pick and pack orders and, and box them. And she's got tears in her eyes and she says, this is supposed to be impossible. You're not supposed to be able to do these things after you've had this kind of injury. And she was blown away. And so it's, I, it's been great for me and boost my faith to firsthand see uh, God do the impossible in Justin's life and to see him with every area he encounters to have the faith that says, this is not too difficult for my God. And that uh, not only can I overcome now, but I trust that God will make everything right and a faith that's able to persevere. And so as we look at that faith that has to see God do the miraculous, and then also see times where it doesn't happen right away. Um, you talked about that faith, and so I'm curious, Mary, if you have any things that have helped build your faith in God uh, and to persevere when it's difficult and to also have faith for the supernatural. What has helped you grow in that faith? Um, two different aspects of it. Um, I realized that God does a lot in a day. <laughs> um, so, like, Joseph and Esther and 
Daniel and Yeshua, all, all the miracles in their life, like, you can basically narrow it down to a day. Um, or, like, the big things, you know? Because everything else was sort of struggles. And then within a day, like, it flipped and everything turned great. And so I think that, like, when you're going through hard times, um, you can realize that God is, like, a God of the day. <laughs> that he can switch things within so fast that you weren't even seeing it coming. Um, what was the other part of your question? Sorry. Um, and I think um, also God teaching me to hear his voice and to trust in that is what I'm going through in this season. Um, and to, to trust in that voice, even when I don't see it, is continuing to build me up inside. Um, so like the evidence of things hoped for, um, the things that you cannot see, to believe in that so strong and to go for God to say that somebody is healed and for you not to see it but to believe it anyway and to see through them and to see that healing, um, that's what's building me up during that time, this time. The voice of God and knowing that he can change it in a day and we'll wait for that day and trust uh, that that day is even today and every day have that faith. God will do something today. That's great. Justin, what's, what's helped build your faith? I think that um, for me, it's seeing all the little things that God does and recognizing the little things and getting excited about the little things, the little victories that happen in our life. Um, you know, maybe it's, I don't know. I just like everything, I, everything like I've encountered in my life, it's like, it's like, it, like it's milestones and seeing milestones and understanding that our God is there in all things. I was reading, um, part of my devotional today, I was reading Jeremiah uh, 41 through 45. And in Jeremiah 42, um, one of the things that's interesting to me is uh, Jeremiah is praying for this prophecy. And it takes 10 days before he gets the prophecy. So it's not that immediate right there he's going to get the prophecy. But it's that faith that it's on God's timing and he's going to reveal it to you uh, when you need it. So I thought that was interesting as far as today. So, like, I think I've just seen, like, I understand the importance of everything and living in the moment and living in the moment for God and being a light to other people because you really don't know, like, when your actions or the actions or the things that God gives you that inclination to do are going to make the world a place and change other people simply by walking in the light of God. I mentioned it earlier that we have this thing that a lot of people want, we have this aura, we have this light about our lives. So just those little things, like having a really good conversation with somebody and all of a sudden they're a believer, it's like seeing, learning that you opened the door for somebody or not, even you didn't open the door for someone and you still made their day better. It's just, I've seen all the miracles that God's done in my life and how he continually is there every time. Uh, and that's really been it. I'll tell one more story and then that's really it. So. I had my injury when I was 14, and I was five, 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 six, and then two years later, I was six one. So that's a little bit of a growth spurt. I was like, God, couldn't I have had that height when I was not good at basketball, but it's his own time, or that extra inch when I was swimming, uh, but it was his time. So what happened, though, was I grew, I was in a wheelchair, so I kind of developed scoliosis. Well, I had to have a spinal fusion and during the spinal fusion, I actually had to have like 10 blood transfusions, 12 units of blood. They were using the cell saver. I ended up being in the ICU for two weeks, finding to stay on the vent. 
but like God continued to be there and like bring me through it. Like seeing other people as I've done my rehab and like seeing God working other people's lives and like how he's brought them through now he's brought families together. He's always there and he's always working in everything he does. So it's just taking time each day to like recognize the little things that are going on and count the millions of little blessings that we have in a given time. Rather than think about what we can't or the difficult thing that's right now, we think about all the great things in our life. And if we start to think that way, of all the things that are going great in our life, then it, it surely it, it builds your faith because you know God is doing so many great things. And what you're going through is going to help and it's gonna, he's going to get you through it. He's told us that in scripture. He tells us that over and over. So yeah, that, that's really with me having that upward mindset rather than just dwelling in the here and now and remembering all the things he's done for us, even in the times when we think he's not there for us because he's always there. As we conclude, I want to take it back to something that Maris said at the beginning where she talked about that it's our obedience to God that does more than our talents, that accomplishes more change. And she talked about Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 2 after seeing Daniel interpret the dream. He said, okay, your God can interpret dreams. He is a God. He's one of many gods. To with this chapter, end of chapter three, he says, your God is the greatest God. And we kind of have this continuum in the book of Daniel of the transformation and the spiritual journey that Nebuchadnezzar is going on. He's going to go from saying that the God of Israel is one of many gods to the God of Israel is the chief God until the continuum where we see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego where they say God is our only God and we will follow him come fire no matter what comes we will follow him and trust in his supernatural power and so as we reflect on this message i think it's a time for us as we go into this song uh right before the ironic benediction to reflect on our hearts and to say okay they would not bow down to this image that nebuchadnezzar had raised up and to ask ourselves are what are the gods or the idols that i am tempted to worship Right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they don't see God move in this miraculous way until they're willing to follow him above the other gods. And so this is a time on this Shabbat, even as we worship God with this song, to say, God, are there gods and idols that I need to lay down and to release to you? To look at our hearts and to say, is Yeshua just one of my gods and I'm really serving myself? Is Yeshua maybe my chief God, but I'm holding on to other gods as well? even if I don't give them the same prominent place? Or God, how can I move to the place where you are my one and only God? That I'm not gonna worship the image that I have for my life or that I want for my life. That I'm not gonna lay everything down for the future that I want for myself, but that I'm gonna trust you with my life and my future like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they, we can see in the book of Daniel this spiritual journey and now as we worship God with this song, it's an opportunity for us to say, God, where am I at in this journey? And how can I move forward to have that faith that says, it's better to be in the fire with Yeshua than out of it. And to see that in that fire, God can loose us of those chains and give us freedom and true life that Mary talked about.